from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Talking Catholic, the official podcast of the Camden Diocese. This is your co-host, Mary McCusker, and I'm joined by Mike Walsh, and we are recording this today through Zoom. And Mike, the last time we did this was last week, and mm-hmm. we happened to be recording on what I think was the windiest, rainiest day of <laughs> 2020. And I was so scared that during the recording, I would lose power. But you actually lost your internet connection twice. I did. Yes, it was very <laughs> annoying. I did not enjoy that part. Uh, and it, the, the, it gave out just as we were talking about how I was expanding about how it's great that everyone sort of embraced technology and our numbers have gone way up on all of our social <laughs> media platforms. And it's mostly people 65 and above. And, you know, we see this the, the older generation coming forward and I'm, I'm all excited and everything like that. And then all of a sudden the screen freezes and I suddenly realized and I lost my internet connection so hopefully however today is a nice beautiful day outside actually opposite yeah i feel bad actually we're recording this on uh what uh, thursday the uh what seventh i think um and it is a gorgeous day outside i was half tempted to record it outside but i know we'd we'd pick up the wind noise it's a little breezy out there so well now our listeners can hear our um sneezing and coughing and everything that comes with this beautiful weather yes but that's Poly- okay <laughs> Poly count is definitely up um yeah. but no and actually you know just to, for anyone who didn't listen to last week's episode i, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it was it was great uh, jamie reynolds was uh, a fantastic interviewee and uh, it was a topic that we don't do a lot of uh conversation about uh, affordable housing for seniors so uh, if you haven't had a chance yet uh, make sure you check it out because that was a particularly good one and i want to make sure that people people listen to it but now we're going to have one that um, I've actually been dying to have uh, for such a long time. For years, I've heard this name, you know, thrown around the halls of Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Camden with with reverence and joy and and this 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 like almost a supernatural nature to this person. <laughs> and I'm so happy that we finally been able to cajole her onto the podcast so that uh, could, so that people could hear more about these great stories right from the horse's mouth. So, Mary, who do we have on with us today? So, well, I share the same uh, those same sentiments, Mike, because I've heard this name for three years now, and I'm lucky enough to have met this very special guest today. I think I say that every time when we introduce a guest, but this is really a treat. Um Jennifer Dyer is joining us today, and she has led so many initiatives, not just in the Camden Diocese, but on a national level and across the country with Catholic Charities USA, and has just had a huge hand in shaping the agency and what it is today. So welcome to Jennifer Dyer, and thank you for joining us. How are you? Thank you. Gosh, and thank you both for such lovely words. I'm glad this is being recorded because I will definitely play that opening for my family. Oh. They always have such nice things to say about me. <laughs> Just to be clear, I said other people have said these things about you. Oh. I have never once said anything even remotely about that. I have found you to be the bane of my existence. However, other people oh, truly wow. seem to love you, Jennifer. So this is... No, I, I did hear that clear distinction, Mike. <laughs> okay, but it was still nice of you to share no. what other people have <laughs> no, said about no me. No problem. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay. So, Jennifer, you know, you have, you spent about how many years at Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Camden? 
I was there for 12 years. 12 years. Okay. Yeah. 12 fantastic years. What, what, I mean, in the beginning, so many, many years ago, what brought you to Catholic Charities? So I had started off my career working at Catholic Relief Services. And then when I got married, we moved up to Manhattan and I was working for Catholic Near East Welfare Association. And we knew we didn't want to settle up there. My sister lived in South Jersey, wanted to come to South Jersey. And what I really wanted to do was go back to school and get my master's degree. And I liked the MPA program at Rutgers. And I had already spent, gosh, probably about five years working for um, working for the church. And I didn't want to not work for the church in my professional career. And so I was looking for opportunities in South Jersey that I could live my faith and work living my faith while going back and getting my master's degree and happened to there there was happened to be an opening at, at Catholic Charities in Camden for it was um, a program director and you'll appreciate this as media folks I found the job on the internet and I was really excited and I wrote up a great letter and my resume and I sent it off and Kevin Connor was the acting executive director at the time. And he called me to say, good Lord, that job was filled years ago. I have no idea why <laughs> oh, no. on the website, but I got something else that I want to talk to you about. Um, and so he brought me in for a conversation and I was hired as the director for disaster relief um, following the uh, following September 11th and the terrorist attacks. And so that was my first role at, at Catholic Charities. Oh, wow. I didn't know that that was your first role. That was my very wow. first role. Yeah. And so we had programs that um, de- dealt with crisis counseling. We had uh, programs that met the needs for those who had lost family members, for those who had lost income. Um, we had a program that ran in the schools for a while to talk to kids about what had happened. Um, so, yeah, lots of different programs. So, you know, maybe maybe we need to go even a little further back. I've, I've had the pleasure of working with social workers throughout all, almost my, the entirety of my professional career, so 25 years or so. And um, they're, how can I say this, the most unique people I've ever met in my entire life. And I may and I mean that lovingly, but they're they're a special breed. Um, what got you into social work even farther back than 12 years ago? So just for clarification, I am not a social worker. What got you into the social work field? Sorry. In public administration. So I have always been much more interested in the program design and implementation. Okay. When I, uh, my first professional job was at Catholic Relief Services. And my father had worked for Catholic Relief Services for 30 plus years. And he was retiring as I was entering the workforce. And uh, so I grew up around all things church and social justice. You know, when I was a kid um, during the Ethiopian famine, my father would be coming back from Ethiopia to share stories about what he had seen, what he had witnessed, the work that the church was doing there. Um, you know, I remember with the uh, the hostages in Beirut, it was, there was a priest from Catholic Relief Services who was one of the hostages, you know. And so I remember as a kid praying for, for his release. I think his name was Father Janko, if I'm, if I'm correct in that. Um, but anyway, so, so the, the, ch- the social mission, the social arm of the church was always kind of a part of my life way back when. And so when I finished my undergrad, I started working for Catholic Relief Services as an administrative assistant. 
in a department called Executive Public Policy Liaison. Mm -hmm. And that department was like this little think tank inside of CRS. And so it was the information house between the executive office, between what was happening at USCCB, between what was happening in the field. And it was kind of where all this information came together and simmered and went to the right people. And so I was an admin and this was you know, a long time ago. So I was like making photocopies and putting it in an envelope, <laughs> and sending it to people. But it was, it was this great opportunity for me to really like see what was happening, what these people were thinking about, these great minds thinking about in terms of how does the church provide love and relief to people all over the globe, you know? And so I always loved that aspect of being able to kind of see the big picture and so I think social work is much more of a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, so I was always interested in the program design. So when I went for my master's, I did it in public administration. Mm, okay. That makes a lot more sense now. The, uh, but it, I mean, the fact that, however, the fact that you, you stayed within this world, I find is fascinating. It's, I've had the, I've been blessed to work in nonprofits twice in my life, um, each for the longest period of time for, I've had a lot of jobs. Uh, I did, I worked for an organization called Volunteers of America for four years and seven months. And I've now worked for the Diocese of Camden for what will be four years, seven months and one day on the 4th of July of this year. Right. So I only have a few more months to go before this is the longest I've ever held a job. But, um, and not because I get fired a lot, though that does has been known to happen. <laughs> Just in the PR world, we tend to bounce around a lot. So, um, uh, but the two the two jobs I've had, and I've worked for corporate entities and in medical field and stuff stuff like that. Um, working in nonprofits was the only thing that ever brought me any joy, honestly. Where like I woke up every morning and was happy to go to work and knew that I was doing something bigger. Listening to you talk, Jennifer, I get the impression that that's sort of your mindset as well that that you, could you even imagine yourself working someplace else i couldn't i really couldn't and i feel so incredibly blessed that i have gotten to spend my entire professional career working for the church um you know there's just this great intersection of being able to integrate the way you live your life on sunday at mass with the work that you do day in and day out um I don't, and the people that you work with, you know, even when people are at their worst and having a tough day, there's still this just goodness and commitment and passion to the work that they're doing um, that just comes through. And I've just been so privileged to work alongside of incredible people all over the country, the world, you know, and I, I cannot imagine how, I can't imagine my life doing something, doing anything outside of church work. Um, but I also really am impressed and amazed by folks who are able to find meaning in work that isn't as directly related to their faith. Yeah. You know, they, because people do, they find real meaning in that, and that work is meaningful and we need it. You know, I always say I'm just a. I'm a little more simple. I need a very direct connection to help me <laughs> find meaning in my work. 
You know, um, you so you talked about your early career working with uh, Catholic Relief Services, and I've always been of the mind that I think a lot of Americans don't really understand CRS, um, oftentimes because it has to do with work outside of the United States. The only time it really people hear about it is when they get their CSR collection uh, envelope in there and they're <laughs> in the you know once a year and put it in their collection plate and they see some of the stuff we put in the, for instance, the Catholic Star Herald about it. Can you tell us a little bit about Catholic Relief Services? Just how huge it is and, and what they do? Yeah, so uh, they have an office in Baltimore. Um, I don't know how many people work there now. When I was there, I had, there were probably 200 people in headquarters, um, thousands of people that work for it all around the globe. They're in about, I think, 90 countries, or at least that's what they used to be in. I haven't checked their website in a while. And in all of those office, in all of those countries, they would have an office that would have in all likelihood, um, one international or maybe two international staff. But then the staff is largely made up of national people who are running programs to improve the lives and livelihoods of all of those in that community. Mm-hmm. It's incredible work that they do. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, considering your your earliest memories in terms of, of that sort of life come from CRS, I mean, it really looks like it made an impact on you. It, you know, it did. It's funny. I was I was thinking about this the other day. My um, my when I was a kid, one of my favorite toys was uh, this little wooden dog and he had really long ears and he had wheels. And so when you pulled the string, the really long ears would flip flop around his head. And I don't know why this was a great toy, but we didn't have a lot of money. And it was one of my few toys. And I would drag that dog everywhere. When I was probably about 10, my dad brought some pictures home from a trip he had taken to Southeast Asia. I think it might've been Cambodia trying to picture this little girl, but she was about two years old and she was pulling on a string, a Pepsi can that somebody had fastened ears to and put wheels on. Oh, oh no. So That's it was, you know, and it was like such a realization to me of, because we didn't have a lot. I mean, my dad worked for the church. There were six of us. We lived in Brooklyn. We really did not have anything. Um, but, you know, just that realization of how much more we had than others had and how joyful people could be in crafting and making and bringing kind of their own joy into their own space, you know? And I don't know who made that little toy for her, but that picture was always so powerful to me. Yeah. Oh, I love hearing that. That's a great story, Jennifer. I I didn't know that, that you grew up in that kind of environment with um, your dad working and, you know, having that global perspective, even at such a young age, it sounds like it was very formative. <laughs> you know, it was, um, it, you know, he would come home and he would tell these stories or, or even just where he would go off to. You know, he traveled a lot when, when we were growing up. We never lived overseas. Um, I think that was too much for my mother to consider with six children. Yeah. Um, you know, but he would be gone for three weeks at a time. Oh, my God. You know, whether it was because of a disaster or just programmatic work or just because if you're going to travel to Indonesia, you might as well then stop in Vietnam for a few days, you know, and kind of do things sure. work like that. Um, so he'd be gone for a long time. Um, and back then, I mean, we didn't talk, right? We would we would write him letters so that he could read them on the long plane rides. And then we would hear from him when he came home, you know, and he would just- No talk. Zoom conferences like right now. No <laughs> Zoom conference calls, <laughs> nothing. Um, you know, so when he would come home, you know, my mother was probably like, 
the kids are yours for the next day. And, you know, she didn't take off someplace. Uh, you know, but he just share with us what he saw, what he witnessed, you know. And um, it was always really, I think the work was just as powerful to him as it is to me. Um, and so I think he recognized that sharing what he saw was just as important as work he did when he was opening. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, I have to ask, are you the oldest sibling no, do I seem like I would be the oldest? That's quite a compliment. You do because you just have that leadership ability. Like I could totally picture you as the oldest sibling, but. Again, I'm really glad this is recorded because I'm going <laughs> to play it for my siblings. They've done nothing but call me, you know, the spoiled baby. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, I, I am the youngest. You're right. the young, you, wow. Mary, you have the worst radar. The entire time she's talking, I'm thinking, six kids, she's the baby of the family. Everything about her suggests <laughs> that she's the baby of the family, but that's fine, whatever. Well, you know what? That's because Mary's the baby of her family and and uh, she, I don't yeah. know, maybe she can't make the connection. <laughs> But, uh, the, uh, you know, I was, you know, it's funny, you were talking about your dad, and this is kind of a little bit off topic, but I, um, it got me to thinking that, you know, I, I work for the church, obviously, and I'm a, I'm a dude, and I got a kid. Um, I, I actually don't talk about work at all at home. And, and, you know, in my job, certainly not disaster relief, but I mean, there are a lot of things that I have to deal with that I, for whatever reason, I've just never been comfortable about talking to my son about and I'm wondering if I'm doing him a disservice now listening to you so I think I would say two things um one I think talking about it is always a good thing mm -hmm. but the other thing I would say is that he's probably hearing and paying attention to a lot more than you think he's hearing and paying attention uh, to that's true uh my we play in this new reality under the blanket of COVID-19, we've been playing virtual Pictionary with my husband's family, and they have two little girls. And last week, my eight-year-old had to draw a motel, and she's not always That's played by the rules, clear on the rules. <laughs> and so she started to write these letters on the front of the building. And so after we didn't get it, we say to her, what were you trying to write? And she said, free. It's a free motel so that homeless people have a place to go and stay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And as she said that, I thought every conversation I've been having lately for work has had to deal with what the shelters are doing, where homeless people are going. Oh you know, as the jails release people early, where are those people going? And oh. that is not a conversation I've been having with her. But she clearly, picked up on it. Wow. Yeah, she was amazing what kids pick up on. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. But I do think that you should make a concerted effort to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, because I do think it's, it's important for them to hear from us um, the values and and what is important and how we make changes. You know, I was having a conversation with my son the other day about um, power differentials, you know, and it was this whole side conversation, you know, but I said to him, when people have a lot of money and they get to build buildings and put their names on the buildings, they always feel seen and heard. But there's a lot of people in this world that don't feel seen and heard, you know, and if they don't have the money and they don't have a loud voice and they don't have a big job, you know, they don't feel seen and heard. And it's our job to kind of help them be, be seen and feel heard. And, and I just, I think those are important conversations to have for kids mm -hmm. and they take it to the playground and then hopefully they take it out in the real world when they grow up. We'll see. 
Done it. And right. I have to compliment your children, Jennifer. Mike, I don't know if you know this, but no. I, Jennifer and I are currently down the street from each other. <laughs> she lives no. just a s- short distance away from me. And I had the pleasure of doing a short photo shoot with her family. And Jennifer, your kids are the most mature children I have ever met. Mike, you know this as a photographer, what it's like to photograph yeah, kids. It's the worst and thing in the world. How- <laughs> so I refuse to do it. <laughs> with Jennifer's family, it was the best thing. They wow, were so really? cooperative, so polite. There was no argue. I mean, they they remind me of you a lot, Jennifer. They are just wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Bribery, Mary. <laughs> right before you showed up, they were promised something big. I don't remember why, but I'm quite sure so they that's were the secret. something big to behave for the photo shoot. Oh, that's very oh, sweet. They were great. Though. Well, that's awesome to hear. And well, thank you for the, the parenting tips, too. I can always use those. The, um, you know, so we talked a little bit about, you know, the CRS background and, you, and your life growing up. But now let's talk about uh, your work with domestic church a little bit more. So you, you, you know, you had your time at CRS. You looked to come to South Jersey. You're from Brooklyn. Um, we all love New Yorkers in our bones. New Yorkers are the best. We all know that. Um, well, my mother was born in Brooklyn, so the least I can do is say nice things about it. Um, the um, and the, of course, our boss is from the Bronx, so Absolutely. <laughs> we yes. say nothing but nice things about uh, New York in my household. Um, but uh, so you come down to South Jersey and, and you know you hook up with Catholic charities, and you know I'm curious, was it how much of a shift was that from the CRS days to the Catholic charities? Yeah, so it's interesting. So when I came to South Jersey and I started working for. Catholic Charities, my mind was that I was going to get my master's degree and then I was going to go back to international work Mm -hmm. because international work was where my heart was. International work was um, it felt more meaningful. It felt more exciting. It felt more um, significant. And in my mind at that time, this was 2002, I thought the work at Catholic Charities was mainly focused on soup kitchens this, again, it's this just my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't know a lot about the work that Catholic Charities did. And so when I came here, I thought this would be a nice job to have while I went back to school. Then I'll get back to the international arena. And right after I came here, Kevin Hickey became the executive director. And, you know, Kevin is just an incredible visionary. And he he sees the big picture and he creates these incredible opportunities for people and over time, he just he kept giving me these opportunities and he kept coming up with these great programs um, that I realized I didn't want to go back. But anything that I thought about the international arena was also true for the domestic work of the church at that point. Um, I don't know. Neither of you were here for Project One, but I'm sure you've heard about Project mm-hmm. One, yes. which is after um, Hurricane Katrina and Rita, too. Um, the Diocese of Camden sent more than 500 people down to the Gulf to help with the rebuilding efforts. And that was all Kevin Hickey. It was all his idea. I think you would say it's all you, Jennifer, because that's what he's told me. (laughs) You know, he has this great big vision and he's like, this would be incredible. And he sees why it would be incredible and he sees how it would impact people. And then he gracefully hands it off to somebody (laughs) right? to like, put some meat on it and make it happen. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to be the person standing beside him when he said this project needs to happen in our diocese. Um, And so I got to travel 
all over our diocese to meet all the incredible people in our diocese, right? And to kind of journey with them and to listen to their stories about how they were impacted by going to the Gulf region, right? And not swinging a hammer, but the other stuff that happens when they encountered people who really are living on the margins and didn't have a safety net and lost everything. And and then they were able to bring those stories back to South Jersey and share them with everybody else that wasn't able to go um, yeah. for one reason or another. Um, and, and so I just, it's been, it was 12 incredible years that I got to be involved in really exciting projects that were happening here. And, it, you and know, that kind of, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say it, what was interesting was, so you go to Katrina, you do that, Katrina and Reedy do all that work. And then at some point, a few years later, you end up having to do all that work in your own backyard when Superstorm Sandy rolls through. <laughs> so it's interesting, Mike. So... When I worked for Catholic Relief Services, I was in um, I was an administrative assistant, but then I was an analyst for the Southeast Asia team. So I did um, I worked with the team in um, Vietnam, East Timor, and so I was at least always tangentially involved in disasters because there's a lot of disasters there, right? This was um, uh, the Timor referendum, so there was a lot of war. In, um, in Timor and Indonesia at the time. In Vietnam, there's always flooding in the Mekong Delta, you know, so I was always involved in, in disaster work. And then when I came to Catholic Charities in Camden, Catholic Charities USA asked me to be part of their national disaster response team. And so I traveled all over the country responding to disasters, wildfires, hurricanes, right? And, uh, and then when, her, when Sandy was hitting our shores, I called Kim Burgo at Catholic Charities USA, who's the vice president for disaster operations, who I had worked with on the national team. And I said, um, Kim, we got a hurricane coming. Who are you going to send here to help us? Oh. And she said, I'm not sending anybody. You're there. <laughs> this full panic set in where because it was happening here in my backyard, you you experience it on such an emotional level yeah. that you just shut down. And so I spent that 10 minutes on the phone with Kim and Kim can be a wonderful cheerleader. Right. And so she's like, you did this and you did this and you can do this. And I have faith in you. You've got this. <laughs> uh-huh. I do. I, you're right. Kim. I do. Right. <laughs> I hung up with her and I thought I do not have this. <laughs> and so I called um, a colleague of mine in Baton Rouge, Carol Spruill, and spent two hours on the phone with her kind of walking through the plan of what I'm supposed to do. Um, and it was all stuff that I knew, but all of a sudden it was my diocese, my agency, my yeah. backyard. Yeah. That, it, when you lose that professional detachment, it's, it's, it's very difficult to do this job, which is why it's so beneficial to have outsiders who can come in like yourself and really give that kind of clear guidance without worrying about did there, is their home uprooted? What, what what's the power like here? My my sister in law is over here and she's got no power and, and not having to work about that. So there is a, this network that Catholic Charities has created over the years um, really does become beneficial to the other dioceses as they get hammered. 
So it's, it's amazing. Absolutely. And you know, the other part of it is the more you do this work and you both know this, you have different relationships in the diocese, right? And some are wonderful and some can be challenging just because of the, the things that you're doing day in and day out. And so I think when the disaster is in your own diocese, you also feel like, oh, I can't call that person because they weren't helpful to me on that project. But when you come in with fresh eyes, from another diocese, it's all just strategy. I need this person. I'll have this conversation with him. And it's right. just, it, there's a lot of clarity that disappears when it's in your diocese. Yeah. So that was interesting. And it really gave me, Sandy gave me a lot of insight and a lot more um, probably patience for what people are dealing with when the disaster's in their own diocese. Because you kind of, you get like, just do it. This is what we need to do. <laughs> And it's also when it's in your own diocese, um, I can imagine it was probably challenging because the staff who are, you know, supposed to be responding to this disaster are also personally impacted. Their homes may have been flooded, you know, so the people who you think are able to respond, they still have their own their own personal lives to tend to in the wake of a of a disaster like that. Yeah. And that's the real beauty of Catholic Charities USA having deployment teams that can come in for the first two weeks, three weeks to just kind of get everything operational while staff can tend to themselves and their families, right? They can make sure they're okay, their mom's okay, their roof's okay, you know, whatever it is they need to do. Um, so, so let's so talk, you know, let's talk about that a little bit more because I, I really wanted to have a conversation about um, about sort of the, the larger nature of Catholic Charities. And that is one of the things that's that's interesting about it is that I I use this phrase a lot with many things that it, that are are about the Catholic Church, but it, in in a lot of sense, we're all sort of a loose confederation. All of these organizations are sort of tangentially at- attached to each other, and, and in the Catholic Charities world, it's it's kind of the same thing. Each of these uh, diocesan level Catholic Charities are independent organizations, but they're sort of interconnected through Catholic Charities USA. It, has it always been the nature of Catholic charities of, say, you know, the Diocese of Camden to help out, you know, the, the Diocese of Baton Rouge? Or is this something that's sort of evolved over time in, in your experience, Jennifer? Uh, so are you asking specifically about disaster or just in general? Both, actually. OK, so I, I think that I would say prior to Kim Burgo coming to Catholic Charities USA, and that would have been in 2000 and gosh, maybe nine or 10. Mm-hmm. I think she's been there about 10 years. Prior to that, the relationships didn't as much go through Catholic Charities USA as they were with each other. So one Catholic Charities might have a relationship with another Catholic Charities. And Camden might call CCUSA to say, hey, I'm looking to do a feeding program. Do you know a Catholic Charities agency that's doing a feeding program? And Catholic Charities USA kind of having that whole network picture might be able to say, oh, you should talk to San Francisco. They've got a great program. But the the linkages were really directly between agency to agency. Um, when Kim Burgo came to Catholic Charities USA, and I should say she came from Catholic Relief Services. So we actually had worked together at Catholic Relief Services. She brought with her this sort of more of an international model, which comes with like deployment teams. And so she really put in place this much more formalized structure where staff from around the network would receive training and then could go on a roster to be deployed. 
And so it, it formalized that deployment mm-hmm. um, experience through the network. Okay. But I do think those those relationships, I mean, they've always been there, but yeah. probably less formal and not as much through CCUSA. Okay. And it is amazing to see, I know at Catholic Charities, um, all staff, I think this was a couple of years ago, but I think that, you know, this is something that's routinely done, um, were to fill out a paper about skill sets. And I'm thinking like, what could I ever have to offer? I work in communications and marketing, but it was everything from, um, you know, which languages do you speak to? Do you, are you trained in CPR? And I, I like everything you could possibly think of. And as I'm going through this list, I'm thinking, wow, like I can check off some of these boxes. And I, and sure enough, I can't remember if it was Hurricane Irma, but uh, there in the there were several hurricanes that came through um, a couple years ago. Hurricane Irma, Harvey Maria. I can't remember which one it was, but I remember somebody put out a call um, to all the the networks of Catholic Charities saying we need people who can operate forklifts, <laughs> and somebody from our accounting department said, I can operate a forklift. I used to do it, you know, before I came to Catholic Charities and bam, he was deployed and um, it just worked out so beautifully. So that infrastructure and the planning, it's just so beneficial. And I've seen that time and time again, Um, you know, the best time to prepare is now. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Best time to prepare is now so that we can get that list going because you know, the needs are so different during every disaster. And I think we often narrowly think about our skills as the work that we're doing and our current job title, right? But there are so many needs that are that are necessary during a disaster. Sure. Like yeah. the Fort Lauderdale. I know you, um, so you were in South Jersey um, and then you moved to Gary, Indiana, right? Gary, Indiana, yes. Where you continued your work with Catholic Charities. Can you tell us a little about how that was? Yeah. So at the end of 2014, I accepted the position as executive director for Catholic Charities in Gary, Indiana. Um, you know, and Gary and Camden have a lot in common in terms of kind of being at the top of those bad lists, you know, most dangerous, Um low number of high school graduates, lots of crime, lots of drugs. Yeah. Um, and so there were a lot of similarities between the two cities. Um, and it was, it was a really great opportunity for me. I had never lived really off of the East Coast. Um, I did my undergrad outside of Baltimore, did my graduate work at Rutgers, you know, New York and New Jersey. Yeah. I just had never lived any place off of the East Coast. And uh, so this was an opportunity to to kind of live in the Midwest for a bit. We were out there for about three years. Great people. Right after I became the executive director, they um, appointed a new bishop. In fact, it was a little uncomfortable because uh, Bishop Melzick appointed me as the executive director for Catholic Charities. And then before I moved my family out to Gary, Indiana, they named a new bishop. Oh my goodness. And so it was kind of like, should I call the new bishop and ask if he still wants me to come? <laughs> Maybe he's not interested in me coming out there. Uh, so that was a little awkward, you know, because this guy didn't get yeah. to hire me. But 
Um, I started in, I started on December 1st and then the new bishop, Bishop Hine, his installation, I think was in February. And so we kind of started together at the same time. And uh, it was an exciting time in the diocese. They did, um, there was a synod. So I got to be heavily involved with the synod, which was incredible. Um, There was a lot of great stuff that was happening out there. Yeah. Left behind a lot of good friends that I still keep in touch with. Oh, I'm sure. And how about uh, from you, from uh, from going from from an industrious worker to the boss? Like, uh, how much of a transition was that for you? Yeah. You so, seem to have, unlike what Mary seems to say, I think you seem to have a lot of boss-like qualities at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I'm like... If I'm not mistaken, I did say that earlier. <laughs> if not, I was thinking it, Jennifer. Don't listen to him. <laughs> yeah. By the time I left Catholic Charities, um, I was the assistant director. Yeah. And so um, I think the phrase that Kevin always used was that the um, that everybody reported through me. They didn't report to me. They mm-hmm. reported to Kevin Hickey, but it, it kind of all went through me. And so, so there wasn't much of a change. In terms of other than I felt like all of a sudden I didn't have my life jacket, you know, because I couldn't go to Kevin. I didn't have him backing me up to say, yeah, that's the right decision. Or no. <laughs> and in a way I did because I would still call him and say, can I talk this through with you? Right. Um, but, you know, in terms of that, that didn't change. It is, um, you know, it's lonely to be the executive director. You know, yeah. you can't be friends with anybody. And so when you move to a new city and you can't be friends with anybody you work with you know, making new friends and and developing relationships with people who maybe want to be your friend because they want exposure to something that you have access to, you know, so that gets a little tricky. Um, But yeah, it was, it was really interesting to be out there. And I know Kevin was, um, I I don't think he would mind me sharing this, but when I had mentioned to him, You've, you've met Kevin before, right? I think I did. Tall okay. guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm just. I'm worried because Mary says I don't think he'd mind. He minds every time we talk about him. He he would like to exist in a void where no one discusses Kevin. Uh, but that's what's so much fun about bringing him up on the podcast is a he can't stop us and b we can talk about it and say whatever we want. So please enjoy. I'm going. I'm very much going to enjoy you telling the story about Kevin right now. Go right ahead. <laughs> Now that there's been so much build up, I just want to say that he has said many, many times before I even met you, Jennifer, he always pointed to your leadership and, you know, your connection with Catholic social teaching and your ability to just lead staff and connect with them. But he has said to me many times that you made him a better leader. Um, and he, he did share with me an email that he sent to the whole agency in 2014 when you left and this is just like the sappy person in me. I, there were tears in my eyes. It was just such like, I said, why do I ever bother writing anything when someone like him can write like this? But the the kind of farewell, it was it was just, it, it described you to a T. And I, uh, I know everybody at Catholic Charities, your name still comes up all the time in, in Camden. So I had to share that with you and hope. Thank you. That's kind of <laughs> I think that everybody and Mike, you have the right idea here. I think everybody needs to leave a job at some point because 
people said so many lovely, wonderful, nice things about me mm-hmm. when I left. Um, <laughs> and I don't think they would have said any of those things if I had stuck around. So it's <laughs> nice to, you know, that's why, that. that's why I leave so many jobs, just yeah. to get complimented. That's it. That's the only reason why. I can't wait to to see you go. They're full of compliments when you're walking out the door. That's right. Quit. I could use some of that right now. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, when I, when I left, it was, it was really with mixed emotions. You know, I was excited about the new opportunity, but I've been here for 12 years. I had grown up here, you know, I mean, that's a long time, 12 years. And Kevin, I mean, has just, he is an incredible mentor and friend and, you know, just has done so much for me personally and professionally over those years and continues to. Yeah. And And I know he's the board member of the trustees for Catholic Charities USA. And I know right now you do some work with Catholic Charities USA. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I lead the Agency Capacity Initiative, which works with five Catholic Charities agencies in the Midwest to help them build their, um, strengthen their agency in such a way that they can better prepare for and respond to disaster events. And what's interesting about this work is that most of the disasters that these agencies are preparing for and responding to will never make CNN. You know, these are not your big disasters. It's, it's small localized tornadoes. It's repetitive flooding hitting the same communities day in and day out. Um, And so there's not the money that comes with it. You know, disasters come with a lot of opportunities. You know, people tend to open up their, their wallets to give during those times. And so it's really trying to creatively think about how you do this work when you don't have the extra resources to do it and you don't have kind of the spotlight shining on it like you do with a disaster like Harvey or Maria or even COVID, the pandemic. Yeah. And does the work involve, um, you know, leading a team of staff or like what's an average day look like for you? (laughs) (laughs) So so it's a three-year grant cycle. And so I've been working with the same five agencies for two and a half years. And we kind of take them through a process where they do their hazards assessments and their vulnerability assessments, you know, who are the folks in your community that are more likely to be impacted by a disaster? And, you know, the answer is it's the folks that Catholic Charities agencies work with day in and day out on a regular basis, right? And so how do you think about what that work looks like during a disaster? And what are your goals as an agency? Because we know every Catholic Charities agency is is really different. Their programs are unique. It is um, deliberate because uh, a Catholic Charities is the local church's response to that, to the needs of that community. Um, you know, and so what are your particular goals? And then I help kind of to resource them so they can achieve those goals and metrics. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so it's interesting work. You know, I'm curious if, if someone wanted to follow your path, I don't think there's any way to, to follow your path because you have a very unique path. But if people wanted to get into this kind of an industry, like what kind of, like, what kind of education background do they need? Like, like you know, I, I there's a lot of people that I know that would like to do, like to be helpful and supportive and want to work for Catholic Charities, but they're not necessarily, much like yourself and myself, they're not necessarily social work types, right. but they, they really feel like they, they want to be able to help in some other way uh, from more of an administrative perspective. You know, what what is that path to, to becoming Jen Dyer too? 
think the world needs more than one Gen Dyer. I'll tell you. <laughs> and the I world needs oh, as many Gen Dyers as we can get. <laughs> I would agree with me on that. But one plenty. Um, I think that, you know, when I first joined Catholic Charities in 2002, it was mostly social workers um, that worked for agencies. And I think that over the past, oh my gosh, 18 years, um, you know, the work has, has become different, right? It's, we're not, we don't just look at that immediate relief efforts of how do we bring relief to you today, right? People need food, they need a place to lay their head, they need to feel safe. That work is really important. But Catholic Charities is also called to do kind of that long-term planning about how do we change the systems and structures that force people into these corners where they don't have food for their families. And I think that work is so, um, it it needs creativity and it needs such innovations that I think it can be from any field. I think that people with an economic background, you know, now when I work with people at Catholic Charities agencies, the ones that they're talking about are ones that come with either an economic background or a housing background. Um, you know, they have all of these really different paths that they have taken to get here. And so they bring those experiences with them. And I think that's what that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us work, right? I mean, we each get different talents. Mm -hmm. God gives us everything we need to work together. And so I don't think there is one path. I think we all bring everything with us to the table. And I think that's what's important, that we're bringing it all to the table every day. Yeah. No, that's a great way of of looking at it. and I, and actually one that I tend to agree with, I look at my path, I look at, I, for that matter, I look at Mary's path to, I can pretty much guarantee that five years ago, Mary McCusker never once thought she'd be working for Catholic Charities. And now when I, when I, you know, talking about Catholic Charities in general and, and how it tends to bring people together and mold them, you know, Mary, you've, one of the, one of the things I've liked most about working with Catholic Charities, in particular the one in, in, in the Diocese of Camden, is it's so focused on making sure that people are trained well and that that they have the ability to go places. So, Mary, you've your colleagues have been deployed multiple times to dis- to disaster areas, and Catholic Charities has done a great job of training them. You yourself went through training what a year ago. Yes, and um, I think that might have been the last time I saw Jennifer in person. This was in um, Jacksonville. And again, this was one of those situations um, where Kevin said, you know, would you be interested in going to this? And like you said earlier, Jennifer, he's somebody who's always wants to send people out of their comfort zone, you know, put new opportunities and experiences in front of them. So I was really lucky for for that opportunity. Um, and that this was a, um, a training. And I remember once again, like, I'm marketing. What, what on earth could I learn from this? But there was so much that I got out of it. Um, and a lot that I took back with me and it's funny because, well, not funny, but now that in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, there was stuff that I had in the back of my head, leaving that training. Um, especially, you know, the best time to prepare is now. And, not all disasters are natural disasters and hurricanes. And 
you know, every person, regardless of what their title or, you know, the textbook definition of what they do, they, they need to be prepared. Um, and, and that, that, that helped me a lot. <laughs> it was a great conference. Um, and I know colleagues, some, some of my colleagues have also joined and a lot of them have been deployed and I've only been here three years, but I know people have been deployed to, um, California when there were forest fires there, um, Colorado, um, let's see, Texas, Louisiana. I mean, I could, uh, Puerto Rico, um, there've been so many places and different types of disasters too. They all have a different nature, different needs, but, um, you know, people are ready <laughs> and sometimes just a couple days notice, um, to, to go. It's yeah. amazing that we have that, um, connection with all the other agencies. And I would say nobody, de no agency deploys more people than Camden and Camden <laughs> is not the biggest agency Camden, you know, I mean, Camden might be right in the middle of the pack in terms of size, but nobody um, deploys more people than Camden. And that's Kevin's commitment both to the network and to providing opportunities for individuals to grow. You know, I mean, we've got this really great way of seeing the potential in people and yeah. what they can do and what their gifts are and just then kind of providing the opportunity for them to to do all that, that they were meant to do. Yeah. That really is true. Uh, I didn't want to hire Mary uh, three years ago, and Kevin talked me into it, and uh, he's been right the entire time, and it's so annoying because he holds it over my head. It's really irritating. Um, but yeah, I remember being terrified at that interview. And you know what you said earlier, Jennifer, how you know you kind of made that switch from the, the global perspective to, okay, now before I came to Catholic Charities, I had just been abroad for a year and a half. I had worked a year in Korea, and then traveled through Southeast Asia on the way home. And I remember thinking, I'll find a job for a little and then I'm gone. I'm coming back out. Like that's where I belong. Um, but you know, when I got home, a couple weeks went by and I see this email pop up Catholic charities looking for communications coordinator. I said, wow. And I, I read the website and I said, Oh my goodness, you know, all of these Matthew 25, the connection to Catholic social teaching. I said, this this is what I want. <laughs> and luckily Kevin was there or else Mike would have said goodbye and I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> it's true. It's a good thing he was. He saw but something it, new that I, that I didn't and he's, abs but, but you're absolutely right is that Catholic Charities, particularly Kevin, but Catholic Charities in general seems to be a good job, does a great job of bringing people in and finding what their real gifts are. And just, yeah. it's it truly amazes me. It really does. Because I am a heartless human being and I, don't feel any of these things, but it like I read that letter and my response to Mary, uh, the letter that K Kevin wrote about you, and my response to uh, Mary was, "Yeah, it's cool." You know, it's like, "Ah, oh, it's nice." And I'm there, like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> getting teary eyed. <laughs> but you know, for all of my and in, in a lot of ways, I'm an avatar for the public in the sense that you know, um, I'm sure there are other people who think like me. We're just nuts and bolts, but I'm so happy that people like you exist. Um, to temper people like me, uh, and I mean this to both of you, because you I was going to say, who are you talking to? <laughs> both of you, both, both of you are wonderful, heartfelt people, and and I've actually I've had the pleasure of now working 
with both of you off and on for, for the last couple of years. And the last project I had any part of with Catholic Charities of any major uh, thing was when we were doing the pilgrimages to the, the border. And yeah. I remember I was the first time I think I met Jennifer or around then. Yeah. And yeah. and Kevin tells me about this uh, woman that I should work with. And I meet her and I'm like, oh, OK, whatever. And then and then I got to know her a little bit. I was like, oh, man, she's really good at this stuff. Um, uh, but the but, you know, going back to what you, that, that pilgrimage ended up for me being sort of a, a composite of everything Catholic Charities was about. It was the 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 true desire of that pilgrimage was to educate the pilgrims who were going down to the border and to learn for themselves what the issues at the border were of uh, the Texas-Mexico border. And it wasn't political and it was open to anybody and nobody was proselytizing to them. Nobody, it was nothing. It was like, go down, be amongst the people, accompany these people and make your own decision. Don't, don't, I mean, you need more than what you're seeing on cable television at night. Right. Um, and I've seen that same pattern with everything that Catholic Charities does. It's like, learn for yourself, come and join us, see what's, mm-hmm. what's actually happening. Right. Um, it's, it's, and all in the spirit of Catholic social teaching and yeah. how does that intertwine? And Jennifer had a huge part in shaping those pilgrimages. And, you know, how do we keep Catholic social teaching in mind as we go on this journey? And when we come back and, you know, having both that faith component and that amazing ability to to organize and lead. I mean, I it's, you know, I, I as we're wrapping up. We, we have like you, you, you asked you're leading to a great question, Mary, which is and one we didn't really touch on a lot. But in the last two and a half minutes, I, I wanted to hit it one last we give it one last chance for some air, which was your spiritual life, Jennifer. Um, it's certainly come across in our conversation that it's important to you. Have has it ever been impacted negatively or positively by the work you do? Like if you had to rely on it sometimes to keep you up and sometimes it would take a hit. So I think the answer is um, yes to both. And for the same reasons, I think that the work that we do um, is really emotionally charged. Um, You know, meeting with people when they are struggling is is can feel burdensome, right, to to kind of try and lift that burden off of them. it's hard to hear those stories. Um, and so that's that, that emotional side of it can feel really heavy, but then what I think you turn to is that, you know, you said the right word, Mike, it's that accompaniment, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're called to do and do it together and to lighten the load of everybody by carrying it together. Uh, That's a great way of great way of putting it. And, Jennifer, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you very much for agreeing yes. to come on the podcast finally. I, I don't know why it took us this long to get you on, but I'm glad we that finally did. That was my fault. I'll own up to it. You're right. It is Mary's <laughs> fault. But, but I really do appreciate it. And uh, I hope our listeners uh, got a new perspective on what it is, both Catholic Charities and, and Catholic Relief Services. And and just as you put it, Mary, uh, what Matthew 25 really means. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Mary, for putting this together. And we'll talk to everybody else uh, soon.